Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to a very fun and special guest episode of Good Humans Podcast. This is episode number 91 with a great guy by the name of Drew Wild, and this guy has got a wild story. But first, I want to say a quick thank you to all our sponsors for today's episode. Today, we're sponsored by Drink A Rapper, the brain function drink. They've been taking her this podcast for a very long time. Their products seriously work and, yeah, scientifically proven to make your brain perform better. If you want to check them out, look for the purple drink in the cold section in Woolies or Coles, also Harris Farm, or you can just make it really easy. Head over to drinkarepper.com, check out their website, have a look all around their products, but you can use the code GOODHUMAN for a big 25% off their whole website. I bloody love this stuff, and you will too. Did you know 80% of men and 50% of women suffer significant hair loss at some stage in their life? And for many of us, that thinning starts well and truly into middle age. And this can have a huge effect not only on our confidence, but also our mental health. That's why I'm really excited to be teaming up with Nioxin, the secret to thicker, fuller hair, dermatologically tested and scientifically proven. I've been using the trial kit system number one, which is for guys and girls who want to maintain their locks just like me, addressing light thinning, helping you strengthen your hair and to prevent breakage and to refresh your scalp, which is a foundation for a healthy head of hair. This coupled with the Nioxin Dioboost gives you instant thickness and makes it look a lot thicker and fuller. To celebrate living your best life with thicker and fuller hair, Nioxin is giving away the chance to win an awesome mate's getaway, valued at $5,000. Just head over to Nioxin's Instagram page and check out their latest competition post to enter today. The best part is they'll also be putting money behind every entry to the Black Dog Institute's Mullets for Mental Health Initiative, which is a very important cause to me. So head over to priceline.com.au and search for Nioxin, spelled N-I-O-X-I-N, and purchase your Nioxin today. All right, make sure you go into the show notes, check out what we are doing with both Nioxin and Drink A Rapper, two amazing things that are both good for our mental health, so very well aligned with this podcast. All right, today's episode, Drew Wild, far out. This guy has got a story that you will not believe. He's an addiction specialist now and does coaching and teaches people how to overcome all kinds of addictions, and it came from a very dark, I guess, story of his own. He grew up in New Zealand and went through a really gnarly kind of stage of addiction from alcohol, different drugs, and in and out of rehab. And yeah, that was, uh, it was just a crazy story to really hear what he went through. And I seriously got a lot out of this episode. The story was absolutely mind-blowing and far out. You're going to absolutely love the episode. If you do enjoy it, please make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, 
click subscribe and follow. Bloody love you all. You're going to love this episode. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast. Drew Wild, how you going, mate? Mate, I'm feeling good. Stoked to be here. Thank you for having me. Man, it's um, it's exciting to get to have a chat with you. We literally only met a few minutes ago. We've been talking about doing this podcast for a few weeks. It's been locked in for a little while and yeah, the day is here. I can't wait to have a chat. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. It sounds like just sort of path that you've been on even just the last sort of few weeks few months is will be aligned to the story that i get to share today yeah man it's um gonna be a very interesting story and i think a lot of the guests are gonna get a lot out of it um i guess maybe to kick the episode off maybe let the listeners know who you are and what you do yeah for sure my name's drew wild and uh you know i truly believe that my mission here on this planet is just to change the way that this we view approach and treat addiction through the lens of trauma Wow. Yeah. I think addiction is something that comes up so much in almost all of our lives in different categories. And I'm sure today you're going to break down some barriers and allow us to have a little look behind the scenes on different ways that we can overcome addiction, how we can spot addiction and yeah, how we can best either facilitate ourselves or our community around us to live a healthier and happier life. So I'm excited to get to know how you got there. So to kick off the first question I do open Good Humans podcast with is what are you grateful for right now? Bro, I'm just grateful for the life that I get to live today. Every morning I wake up and I, I just give thanks. I'm just like, thank you, like, wow. Like, you know, from where I've been to where I am now, the relationships that I have, the connections, the love, the resources, the money, the abundance, the, you know, everything. I'm just like, holy shit, like, I never in a million years would have thought that this was even possible. Yeah, wow. I'm excited to get to know why that, because I'm yeah. sure there's some things along your journey that you wouldn't have ever expected to get to hear, like you just said. So let's um, <laughs> let's rewind back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? What was life like as a kid? How were the family dynamics? And yeah, let's go back to the start. Yeah, bro. Um, so, I mean, look, for all intents and purposes, from the outside looking in, you would have said childhood was, was cushy, you know? It was, um, uh, you know, had loving mum and dad um had a had an amazing relationship with particularly my old man my, my dad he was my best mate um i grew up in Christchurch, new zealand uh moved up to auckland city at about maybe 10 years old um but even from a young age man like i can look back and <clears throat> just notice there was there was a sense of like I know I can go a little bit deeper into this, you know, further down the track on this podcast, but just the sense of what I now know to be just like dysregulation within my nervous system. Like I was always felt a little bit heightened or a little bit what I could just call jacked. A little bit kind of on edge, even from a really young age. I didn't really understand that. Like for me, of course, like that was just normal. I genuinely felt that from the day I was born. Yeah, wow. And so I'd find myself, <clears throat> again, I've done a lot of reflection and I've gone back and like, you know, different processes and stuff and can see that, um, you know, even as a kid, I'd find places to escape, whether that was literally like I was an only child as well. So it was just me. Mm. Um, so even in the way that I would like just be so attentive and like playing with Lego, <laughs> like it was like nothing else existed. It was like me and the Lego. Right, it was like it's weird. It's weird to think about that, but it was like shit. Like it was genuinely like it was a place where I could escape, and actually felt safe. And not even that. Like I had literal places that I'd escape to. Like you know, kids have like little cubby holes and stuff, or like you know, um, you know, we build forts or whatever like that. You know, for me, it actually felt like a safe space. It felt safer than my environment at home. 
Uh-huh. I didn't really understand that until obviously I started doing the work much later on in life. Um, so yeah, fast forward by 11, bro, I was smoking weed. So pretty young age. How'd you find that? How did you get My old man sleep? stash. <laughs> yeah. Dad was, he was a very successful businessman. Um, very high up in the corporate world. Um, I think that was, just, that was his coping mechanism. You know, I talk about addiction, whatever your vices is, is just been, it's just, it's a coping mechanism. Mm. It's something that we use. It's a crutch that we lean on to help us cope and deal with stress. Mm. It's interesting because I feel like weed is so <clears throat> normally connected with this kind of lazy stoner lifestyle. But the more that I think people begin to understand that weed can be used in like different ways. And like, like you said, your dad can be a highly successful businessman and a high functioning person who might mm. smoke weed every now and then, which I guess you can look at it as a medicine rather than the illegal substance, which it kind of gets marked at through yeah. the media. So you would have had this kind of understanding that, wait, my dad's highly functioning. Smoking weed isn't that bad, I guess. <clears throat> exactly that, bro. And so, you know, like this is what, this is kind of like the crux of what I talk about when I approach addiction. And I do this like all the time. It's like, it's a spectrum. In my humble opinion, addiction and distraction are synonymous. There's absolutely no separation. But it's like asking yourself, where am I operating from or who's in the driver's seat when I'm choosing to participate in these behaviors? Mm. Am I choosing to escape numb? Is there some discomfort in my body or some sort of dysregulation that I'm trying to avoid or shove down or regulate or deal mm. with? Or am I just choosing this because, you know, it's, you know, like say, say something like weed, like it, 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 I become more creative mm. and I might smoke once a week to write or to paint or to, you know, something like that or helps me focus when I'm out and surf, you know, whatever, something like that. Um, it's like, where am I actually operating from when I'm choosing to engage in these behaviors? It's the biggest difference Yeah. for me. <laughs> it was always escape, man. Always escape. 11. Yeah. Smoking weed, man. Like that, that's young, you know, how'd you young. find it? You just found, I just, yeah, just, found just curious. I think was it's, it? you know, you get to that age and it's sort of like around 10, 11, your parents start leaving you at home alone. And so you start just kind of, I don't know, having a little bit of a hunt and a wander. Yeah, yeah wow. So you and then... As I found the stash and my cousin knew what it was, I sort of, like, I don't know, like, there's something in me, maybe I'd seen it in movies or something yeah. like that. But yeah, my cousin knew what it was and we were out at my holiday home once and, and um, yeah, we had a smoke and, you know, for all intents and purposes, we had a fucking great time. We were just losing our shit and got the giggles and... Yeah, wow. <laughs> and had fun, but it... it it also, in that moment, I was like, whoa, like, I feel calm, I feel still, I feel at peace. Which was something that I wasn't actually used to feeling. Mm. Um, so it was like, alright, you know, there's something that works. Again, this is all unconscious. This is like, you know, this I'm not consciously going, oh, this is making me feel X, Y, and Z. I'll have more of that. It's like, oh, there's just something in that mm. that helps me feel more myself or more regulated or more still in my own body. So, yeah, I smoked a lot, man. <clears throat> um, it probably became more regular. You know, it wasn't like, fuck, it wasn't like every week yeah, yeah. at that age. But, you know, it wasn't um, uncommon to be smoking. 11, 12, 13 years old, definitely increased in my teens. Most of my friends smoked a lot of pot. Um, then we started drinking. So drinking was pretty common as well, obviously, through my, my teenage years. I played a lot of rugby. Um, it was pretty drilled into that, that kind of footy culture as well. And, 
yeah, again, man, like there was nothing, no part of it was like out of control or unmanageable at this time in my life. Mm. Um, Pretty common with all your friends, yeah. What about exactly. school? How'd you find school? Dude, I fucking love school. Like I was, our school was actually streamed. We were ranked. We'd like exams every single term and we were ranked from like basically smartest to dumbest. Wow. Which is pretty hectic when you think about it and like mm. the pressure that puts on, on children, teenagers yeah, yeah. at such a young age. Um, and yeah, man, I was always floating around the middle of the pack. You know, I, I put in minimal effort and got half decent marks. You know, I think that's what pissed the teachers off the most. I was yeah. always that kind of class clown. Um, you know, pissed around, studied the night before, got got the marks that I needed. We, we actually got, um, our school report always had, we had on one side was like our class rank and our, like our class, like our exam mark. And then we had next to it our attitude and effort grade. <laughs> so it was always like A's and B's and then like C's, D's and E's. <laughs> Could do better if applied normal. Yeah, man. Like I just had fun. I enjoyed, I did enjoy school. It was cool. I had an awesome group of mates. Um, academically did okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, played a lot of rugby. We had like grade rugby in, in New Zealand. Um, so it's a weight grade. I was always playing like reasonably top tier weight grade rugby. Um, and yeah, for, again, like for me, my teenage years were like just what I thought was completely normal. Yeah. You know, went to school, did all good weekends. There'd be some sort of party on every week. Have a whole of a lot of fun. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, we'd let loose <clears throat> and then, um, you know, we'd, we'd be, you know, you'd brush it off on a Sunday back then, you know, 18 years old, younger, 16, 17 years mm. old and you were good. You were sweet. It was very similar to my high school years. I remember getting, yeah. I used to live, um, in a place called Narrabeen and there was this place called Avalon and I was never really that close to friends with the guys at my school cause yeah. no one really surfed. So every weekend on a Friday, I'd get dropped to my friend's place in Avalon and it would be, see mum, I'll see you on Sunday. And every Friday afternoon, it would be like, everyone would rock up at one of the boys' house. Someone would have an older brother who could go and buy a few cases of beer. Yeah. Everyone would chuck in their 10, 20 bucks or their yeah. goon sack. And then it was <laughs> Friday, Saturday night, like drink all night. Or not drink all night, but like try, yeah. every week there was some sort of a party or it was drinking at someone's house. 100%. And then you'd hear about another party on the Saturday night and you'd surf for the day and you'd cruise around and then it would be like, all right. Yeah pre-drinks from after lunch and that was every weekend pretty much through my year 11 and 12 as well in between my surf events yeah so i think it's a very common experience oh, for me i think particularly in australia and new zealand mm. that drinking culture you know predominantly that binge drinking culture it's 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 the norm yeah. unfortunately but it is so normal yeah, yeah seriously so what about when you were going <laughs> through school what did you um what did you think your future might look like career-wise did you have any idea or were you just Bro, all to... i was conditioned to believe my path could be was you go to university you get your degree and you climb a corporate ladder yeah that was it and again that comes from my conditioning right this is we've all got you know this this comes from the environment we're brought up in exactly and so you know that was very much dad's route yeah and that was very much you know other family members route and that was kind of what you base your, your sense of self-worth on. Mm. Particularly in, um, let's just say, like the demographic of which I was brought up in. It was like, like a reasonably affluent area of Auckland City. And it was all very sort of like fucking snub nose, you know, wank wank. Like, you know, mm. what school are your kids at? And what university are they going mm. to? And uh, my, you know, my son and my daughter is going to be a doctor or a lawyer and all that sort of shit. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, bro, I was only doing it because that was what I was told to do. 
So I guess part of my journey in amongst all this was I had a, a girlfriend, a high school girlfriend from maybe like 16. And I actually ended up overseas. I traveled when I finished school. I did a gap year. Wow. I was really fortunate to do a lot of travel. My dad worked for the airline industry. So I had done a lot of travel when I was younger. And yeah, a lot of my mates actually were just like, you know, before we go to uni, let's, let's boost. Yeah. So I did a year over in the UK, which was sick. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, from there, that was my base. Got to travel all around the world. Um, so again, a lot of partying. Like my entire friendship group was basically based around like hip hop and drum and bass. Like they were like, that was our like central focal point when it came to music. And so like every weekend, particularly in the UK, it was like finding what club had the best drum and bass on that weekend. That was when I started getting into like, you know, more recreational party drugs, ecstasy, cocaine, things like that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so I still had this girlfriend. Came home from my, my year overseas. While you were a year overseas, she stayed. Yeah, she, she was a year younger, so she still had a year of school to finish. Wow. So I did the whole long distance thing. Came back, and I just had a bit of an ego about me, to be honest, bro. Like, I kind of came back and fell in with what I, you know, felt was kind of like a bit of a cooler crowd. Um, very much centered around gigs, drum and bass predominantly, partying, ecstasy, um, and and like we would be going from like Wednesday to Sunday. And what were you doing for work to make money to afford these habits? Remember, to be honest, man, I was probably on a student allowance, and probably had some. I had a myriad of different, you know, like part-time jobs as a lifeguard for some time. I, you know, probably had like a drive, like takeaway delivery job, Mm. (laughs) just you know, casual shit like that to get me through university, basically. Um, but that's when, so it was probably maybe two years after I got back from the UK, my, my girlfriend at the time, my like sort of high school girlfriend and I split up. Yeah. And that fucked me up like big time, like absolute heartbreak, real toxic breakup. Um, and you know, this, this is kind of, again, like I'll circle back to this, but the center point of, of what I've started to understand is that like, I had no idea how to feel my emotions full stop and I know that that will resonate deeply for a lot of particularly men listening to this podcast like we're almost as men particularly in that in like sort of like locker room culture sporting culture lad culture Mm. it's like there's this deep conditioning out of simply just feeling your feelings you know boys don't cry boys don't show emotion you know you're whatever Mm. insert word there Um, and I certainly had no idea how to express what I was feeling you know I was torn torn apart Mm. absolutely heartbroken all I wanted to do was probably crawl into a ball and just fucking cry for three days straight and if I had done that that probably would have helped me immensely but instead I turned to what I knew helped me to cope and deal with the things that I didn't know how to cope and deal with which was the drugs the alcohol Mm. the partying the woman the suppression the numbing the let's shove all this shit down and pretend like I'm all good. Yeah. I'm sweet. I'm fine. But you weren't. Bullshit. I was fucking torn apart on the inside. Mm. <clears throat> and so that's when shit started getting real out of control for me. That was when everything just started like the fast forward button just got hit. And um, yeah, stuff started getting really chaotic. Like my drinking was out, out the gate. Like I was on the purse pretty much. 
every night I, I remember an old flatmate of mine keeping count and he's like bro you've been out every night for like the last 32 nights wow <laughs> like you haven't stopped and this is when you're about 20 would have been about 20 years old bro still in New Zealand still in NZ and um and just doing you what were you doing at uni uh marketing and management but um yeah it was you know scraping by absolutely scraping by and uh yeah, fast forward, you know, another six months, it got to the point where I was like literally living in my car, driving from like dealer to dealer, bottle store to bottle store, just like drinking myself to death slowly. Wow. It was the only thing, it was like my best friend and my worst enemy at the same time. Mm. It's the only thing that would take away the pain that I was experiencing within myself. <clears throat> and it was the one thing that was like literally taking me to the edge of death. Yeah, wow. And I had no other tools or resources. I, I, I knew nothing else. And what about the people around you? What were you oh. hiding it from your family quite well? Were you hiding <laughs> it from your friends, or <laughs> no. they all saw it? But they all could see straight through, man. And that's why I like isolated. That's what a lot of like people in that situation do is like isolate from everyone because there's such a deep seated and embedded uh, feeling and essence of shame Engagement, around the behavior yeah. that you're engaging in that you remove yourself from anyone. Like you don't want anyone to see you or witness you in that place, mm. in that dark spot. So it's like, how much more can I remove myself from everybody? Because they're the threat. Mm. They're the enemy. They're the ones that are going to try to come and take this away from me. Mm. Right. <clears throat> um, and, and so, yeah, they knew, but they also knew they, thankfully mum and dad had a few friends that had been in similar situations and they knew full well that there was no, there was absolutely, and this is the hardest thing, like I have conversations with family members of every single day. I'm like, this is the hardest thing I'm ever going to tell you. There's nothing you can do until they put their hand up for help. Mm. Like you cannot help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves. Yeah. Full stop. And so I can't even imagine what that would have been like for my mum and my dad, you know, like not even knowing where I am, I'd literally disappear for like months at a time. And, you know, definitely wouldn't be picking up their fucking, their calls or them or replying to their texts. And, um, yeah, man, like I, this, this is a real trip. This still bugs me out to, to this day. I was passed out on a street somewhere. No idea where I was. Still couldn't tell you to this day. Seat down on my car. And I think the windows were down. So I was literally just passed out in my car seat. And one of the neighbors must have seen this car. So to them, they couldn't see me because I was just lying down with the yeah. seat back. So they couldn't see me. So they just saw this car on the street that had been there for a while with the windows down. So they thought it was a stolen car that had just been ditched. They called the cops. <clears throat> the cops, thankfully, the car at the time was registered to my dad. Uh-huh. They called my dad. Are you missing a car? He said, no, nah, but I'm fucking missing a son. And uh, he said, like, can you give me the address? And so thankfully they got there before the cops because um, I would have been done for DIC. Another one. I've got four under my belt. Wow. That's another story. Um, and he, like, it was like this, like God had like sent someone. I'd let this knock on the car and I opened my eyes and my dad was standing over me. Wow. I was just like, what, like, what, like, how, how have you even found me? Mm. And um, anyway, got in the car got home sat down and just started bawling my eyes out and um they just said look Drew like you know do you want help what's going on do you want help 
all I could muster was like, yes, please. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what this is. I don't know any way out of this. I didn't even know what addiction was, bro. I've never experienced the addiction. I've never been around anyone that had, you know, gone through anything similar. Do you um, think the language, like, that do you want help rather than we're getting you help? Was oh, 100%. Massive? 100%. It would, there would have been a massive resistance if it hadn't come from me. Mm. If that yes hadn't come out of my body. Yeah. Fuck yes, please. Yeah, do you think that... I mean, we'll probably catch up to this now with the work you do, mm. but just for someone who might have somebody in their life who they're a bit worried about, that language seems like it must be so important. From going off what you were saying before, people aren't going to get help unless they're the one making the decision. Yeah. So yeah, now with the work you do, I'm sure that question of do you want help rather than yeah. we're getting you help... Yeah. It's probably so different. Definitely. It's just it's the way you approach it, you know, and this is like the core of why I love speaking to this is that if I can change the way people see why addiction is, is addiction is just a symptom mm. of a much deeper rooted issue. Yeah. You know, it's not why the addiction, you know, my mentor, my Gable, my therapist, it's not why the addiction, why the hurt, why the pain. Yeah. And so if we can start to understand that, then we can look at, anyone with any any addiction you know you name it there's there's hundreds of them yeah. um we get to see them through a much deeper lens of compassion mm. and understanding as opposed to they're a bad person or they're a flawed human mm. or there's something wrong with them it's like fuck that person's in pain and that's all they know that's helping them ultimately like self-medicate mm. And so, yeah, being asked, like, do you want help? There's a sense of empowerment in that, right? Mm. It's like, yeah, please, I do. And so, anyway, they had everything ready to rumble. Like, they, they were ready to go. <clears throat> They'd already teed up rehab. They'd been in touch with friends. Like, I ended up in rehab, uh, I think, maybe even that day or at least went out to the rehab. Wow. It's all a bit of a blur. I was pretty fucked up. And, um, so at this time you're just drinking heavily, what other drinking drugs? heavily and like, it would have been a lot of like, I guess what you could call like recreational drugs at this yeah. point. So like ecstasy, MD, yeah. um, not so much cocaine in New Zealand. Like it just wasn't Expensive, around, but yeah. if I was overseas, it was, um, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, ended up in rehab <clears throat> and, I had to detox first, so they, they, like alcohol is actually one of the more dangerous dr- drugs. You know, yeah. a lot of people don't deem alcohol to be a drug; it's still Absolutely a drug. Is, yeah, um, it's actually one of the most dangerous drugs to withdraw off if you've been drinking a lot consistently for a long period of time. You can have like some real like hectic seizures, and they can kill you. Wow! So you've got to they put you through like a, what they call it, it's like a diazepam taper. It's like Valium, basically benzodiazepine. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I actually. I think I ended up back at home. Like they couldn't get me into the rehab until maybe let's say this was a Friday and they couldn't get me into like Monday. So I actually ended up detoxing for a few days at home before I continued that detox at rehab, got admitted on the Monday and bro, that was honestly incredible. You know, it was my first experience of what I would call and look back on today as like personal development Yeah, well. and starting to get a bit of an understanding as to why, like what's going on in here? Asking some questions. Yeah. What, what, what is it within me that's creating this experience for myself? <clears throat> and um, I had a lot of questions. I, oh, I love, I just, I just question everything. Mm. It's, it's, I love that part of me. Curiosity is important. 100%. I just question things. And there were some questions that they couldn't answer at this place, man. You know, like it was like, my biggest question was why? Mm. Why? Like, why me? 
I've got a lot of friends that drink just as much as I do, smoke as much as I do, take as many drugs as I do, and they seem to be able to shut that shit down on a Sunday and make it to work or uni on a Monday. Mm. I'm the one that's still going and feels as if I can't stop. Like, there's a compulsion to want to continue to use or drink. Mm. I keep asking them, why, 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 why? I couldn't get an answer, you know? The, 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 don't get me wrong. I this this this, this rehabilitation facility that I was in was incredible. <clears throat> it was very much twelve step based rehabilitation center, so based out of you know like the platform of AA and yeah. NA. Um, and their model is is based out of a what we call a disease based model of addiction. So you know back in the day it used to be this framework of of like addictions a choice. It's a, it's a moral failing. Mm. You know you're choosing this behavior then you know the sort of 12-step movement came in and it, and it morphed into this like disease-based model of addiction um and it's like you know you've got a disease for which there's no known cure and again like something in my body just it didn't resonate it was mm. like that just that doesn't feel true there's got to be something like more to this it, it just yeah i don't know it was just something in me that yeah. was like fuck that i don't nah no and I was only like what 21 years old so I'm going like fuck these guys are the experts mm. like I'll whatever if you tell me like tell me to jump I'll say how high because I'll do anything to get out of this fucking hole yeah because it was hell absolute fucking hell <clears throat> and um so yeah it was incredible like rehab was dope met some amazing people it's the first time I'd been in an environment around people living a shared experience you know what i mean like that alone is so healing yeah just to have people laugh at some of the best laughs like it's the kind of laughs that i feel like people that have only had those kind of experiences can laugh at together because mm. they're so fucked up and they're so absurd and like it's just like the most insane behavior that you kind of can fall into to find you know and get your medicine mm. do you know what i mean yeah and so yeah made some amazing friends and and you know did a bit of soul searching how long were you in there for i was in there for maybe four to five weeks yeah so again like it, the rehabs are great they're a good opportunities to sort of like take you out of your environment they arm you with a few tools unfortunately again in my humble opinion probably not enough um and then they kind of send you back out and again a lot of these facilitate facilities again, don't get me wrong i'll circle back to this their aftercare plan is like you go to AA or you go to NA and that's what I did so I fell into like 12 steps um so did I I went to a few AA meetings but I preferred NA so Narcotics Anonymous yeah for me it was just a younger crowd um and you know I say this all the time and I say this to anyone that's listening like if you're in a 12-step program and that is working for you amazing beautiful incredible don't fucking stop yeah i've heard some people have really loved it that i've had on the podcast and yeah. i've heard some that yeah are a bit different like the, tom carroll swore by it yeah he was like it saved my life now he like found meditation 100%. through it and all this stuff yeah. but then the yeah. core of it like the core of the 12 steps are phenomenal mm. like steps one and t- one basically is just like admitting there's a problem yeah two and three is like you know um um, working on some form of, of like connecting to something greater than you, mm. whatever you deem that to be, your higher power, higher self, God, source, universe. Yeah, a lot of people like, find God through. Yeah, totally. Um, 
but it's not a religious based program in any sense uh four and five are what they you know in its smallest form i would call <clears throat> they you know they call it you're sort of like this moral inventory it's almost like writing and pouring out your life story mm. into your piece of paper so from the frame that i now treat um addiction and trauma i can see layers of trauma release work in that but not mm. to the extent that's really needed um six and seven is seeing the patterns that's created from that which is amazing so that that's again that's a really you know if we can see and recognize our background and our bringing in our behaviors we can start to notice like the roots and anchors of those of those patterns yeah um eight and nine is like forgiveness work which is dope that's really yeah. cool and then you know 10 and 11 are like what they call these sort of like maintenance steps so like introducing meditation and just connecting into self mm-hmm. and just tuning in and checking in and then 12 is like coming back yeah. so that is root and it's core <clears throat> i think it's it's phenomenal it's considering it was like two dudes that sort of wrote this program fucking help millions of people it's yeah help millions, so and millions, and millions and millions and millions of people 100 percent. like to think just that 12 steps is going to work for everyone is pretty naive and that that was that was where i got to like i just uh, again like the meetings themselves i think are amazing because you get to surround yourself with the community of people that you have going through and have experienced a shared and lived experience yeah <clears throat> um but your recovery is kind of contingent on you know it's a sponsor system so you find someone in the room who you kind of vibe with and they're, you know, X amount of, of clean time. I put that in inverted commas. Um, and if you resonate with them, then you're like, hey, can you be my sponsor? And you'll work through the steps with them. It's like your entire recovery is kind of contingent on like their experience of their own recovery. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, because if they fall by the wayside, it's like there's crazy statistics that you're more likely to maintain healthy habits if you have an accountability group one but also an accountability partner which is obviously what all this is based on yeah. but yeah if you have an accountability partner that doesn't stick to it would make yeah well it not even hard. stick to it like if they're just taught in a particular way you're going to be imprinted in the way that they've been taught yeah. by their sponsor right so it's just kind of passing it down and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but you know I'd sit in these rooms you know at a young age and and this is just my opinion like guys if you are in a 12-step program take this with a grain of salt you know again it did fucking support me to no end in the early days yeah 100 percent. it's a better step in the right direction than oh, the wrong direction god yes and um but i'd look around some of these rooms and i'd just see some people that had some what they would call you know they'd literally just the fact that you had to sit there and say hey i'm drew wild and or drew and i'm an addict i didn't ride that mm. like I'm not a fucking addict. I'm a lot more than an addict. I don't want to identify as an yeah. addict. You know, <laughs> that's not who I am. Our language is powerful. Yeah, yeah. If I'm consistently telling myself I'm an addict, guess what I'm always going to be? Yeah. Um, uh, but I would see some people in these rooms, man, that had some like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years up. And I'm like, you don't look that fucking like stoked about your yeah, life that you've created. Yeah, like yeah. you don't look. And I would ask, you know, what, so what happens if you stop going to meetings? They'd be like, oh, well, I've relapsed. I'm like, well, so is this almost in itself, sure, a new addiction, like a, new yeah. addiction a healthy mm. one, and it's keeping you alive, cool. But if you can't not go to a meeting, yeah. are you dependent on this? Um, so there was, again, that was just where I started questioning things. Yeah. Anyway, I fell out of that, and bro, I just, again, I just fell back into my old way of life. So like how, I was long, young. how long were you out before? Oh, maybe like a year. 
So you did a year yeah, sober? Yeah, I did a year sober. On and off, I probably had a few little lapses along the way. Um, but predominantly sober for like maybe a good year outside of that. Back living with your family a little bit to help you through recovery? Yeah, or? I think I would have been for a little while. And then I would have been in like various flats, things like that. Yeah. Coolman flats and I don't know, you Coolman flats here, yeah. Yeah. yeah, whatever. <laughs> Share homes, yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it was weird, bro. Like it just got to a point where it was kind of normal again. Like it wasn't, it was, it was manageable. It wasn't mm. out of control. You went every day, all day. You yeah. Were like a couple times a week. Yeah. And what I actually think probably supported that is by this point in my life, I'd also now created a uh, Valium addiction. So from that experience of having like that, that Valium, that taper through detox, mm. again, because it's ultimately a muscle relaxant, like I felt this extreme level of comfort in my own body. Mm. Same thing we'd gave me when I was younger, right? It's like, oh, fuck. I feel like still for the first time in my life. Holy shit. Mm. So being the, you know, sort of manipulative human I was at this point in my life, like it was easy to go and twist the doctor's arm and be like, hey, can you throw me on some, some Valium? It stops me drinking. Yeah. But what it actually gave me was like when I was drinking, I could then almost self-detox. Yeah. Which is a real dangerous cycle, right? It'd be like, you know, I could go for however long I wanted to go for. And then I had a stash of valium to detox off the drink yeah without having to go into a facility so that would have kept me on that loop and cycle for a lot longer than if i didn't have access to that um so it just perpetuated everything um so yeah anyway long story short fast forward valium addiction and full blast i was working i was working in the fucking liquor industry bro no actually i started working in the radio industry did you finish your marketing degree no uh, half a semester short, never wow. finished, bailed out. And went straight um, into a job that you found? Yeah, went straight into a job. I was working promotions and sponsorship for a, um, like the party radio station, New Zealand, Georgia FM. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine what that environment was like. And then I left that and I got a job in the liquor industry, bro, as a sales rep. Uh. And so again, you can imagine the access I had to just the, and the environment mm. of, and culture of booze and so I just sat on that merry-go-round bro for ages probably like another eight or nine years wow. that was my life just three 20s all through my 20s my entire 20s What's the it? loop and the pattern was like sh- things were all good things were cushy I was cruising <clears throat> insert trigger that could have been a good day could have been a bad day could have been fucking anything could have just been someone mate sending me a message yo you want to go for a drink yeah cool for me it was like playing Russian roulette mm. like rolling the dice Am I going to be out for the weekend? Am I going to be out for a night, the weekend, or like three months? Yeah, well. That was the game I was playing with myself at this point in my life. I had no idea. Um, at this point in my life as well, like some harder drugs were coming into my life, like meth was coming in. Wow. Um, so, like, yeah, shit was getting pretty chaotic again. Like daily use or? Yeah, when I was using, drinking, yeah. definitely. Um, it was daily, 100%. It was nonstop. Um, but then still holding your job through this bit yeah barely bro like jobs came and went yeah you know I was on what they call sickness benefit in New Zealand probably like like Centrelinkers here Um, making cash where I could and uh, yeah so yeah that that was the pattern man it was like rolling the dice however long I was out for I'd eventually get to like a form of a bottom 
of like okay like i need to do something about this that could have been again that was a spectrum for me that could have been me just simply like sleeping it off for a few days um you know and chewing back a, a bunch of valium it could have been like real bad and i actually needed a proper like facilitated detox um or it was uh you know like i'd wake up in fucking hospital like actually i had a few like accidental ods as well wow um so like yeah it was pretty hectic man and uh yes but then i'd climb out of that hole yeah once you end up how many times did you end up in hospital how many times did you end up back in rehab over the years only rehab what i went rehab was that one time just the one time i went back again that was the last time everything in between were just like detoxes medicated yeah detoxes hospital visits stuff like that and when you went to hospital they weren't like recommending you need to go back to rehab to leave or brother again i'm i'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're no, I'm just intrigued by the system because <laughs> Bro, the, the system's fucked yeah the system's flawed the way that they treat people like myself or have and this is again just my experience i'm not saying this is all doctors or gps or nurses yeah but unfortunately it is a good damn amount of them is that they just see you as a as a stain on the system mm. you did wait you're choosing to get you're drunk. choosing this it's like yeah you're choosing yeah, to so, continue to end up in the ed which space. is hard because it is te- i mean not technically it is a mental illness addiction it's obviously traumas as well that's 100%. past it's not necessarily just the fact that you want to go get pissed every day it's because you're exactly escaping that. something else and you ask any doctor or gp or anyone that's that's a you know trained medical you know physician um and even a nurse and even a psychiatrist how much they're actually taught about trauma it's sweet fa wow it's even mental health bro you know they don't ask about your environment they don't ask about why Mm. they're like they're they're, you know they're essentially trained to medicate yeah it's shifting it's definitely shifting it's moving and there are and i have a lot of beautiful gps and and uh, physicians in my life that that are doing their own extracurriculum study in order to be better well prepared and equipped for for people like you know myself that come through their doors yeah which is a phenomenal um and i actually work with quite a lot of them yeah um but yeah so anyway i ended up in a lot of you know hospital visits stuff like this and so i'd you know eventually get to some sort of bottom and then i'd like you know start crawling my way out of that hole and this was just the pattern that I lived for like, you know, another eight or nine years. And crawling out of that hole would look like, you know, just starting to do all the right things again. You know, starting to eat right, starting to move my body, get out, run, get back out into nature, maybe get back into my meetings, support groups, mentors, things like so that. So you had the resources around you and you yeah, knew sure. what to do, but it needs to be... You I'd say all the resources, the only resources I had were external of me. Mm. They weren't internal. They weren't within me yet. They weren't embodied. Yeah. Big difference. If I'm leaning on other people or other places or other things, they again, you could stops. almost say that that's you, you're becoming dependent on others. Mm. I didn't have the resources within myself. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, bro. Uh, and amongst all this, my dad passed away. He had a brain tumor. He had a brain tumor for about, we found out maybe four years before he passed um he you know there's only so many times you can open up someone's head unfortunately every time they had to sort of leave a small piece of this tumor because it was wrapped around either a, a like a, a main nerve or a, or a or a vein artery or something mm. like that and every time it would just it was really aggressive would grow back so almost every year on the dot had to have the surgery 
to the point they're like, we, we can't operate on this anymore. How does that to deal with without something you think you use the alcohol to cover up? To not 100%. Have to I didn't deal with say, it. Yeah, not be around. Is that something you regret looking back? Oh, deeply. Mm. Like, man, like I've, I've done a lot of work. Like yeah, a lot man. of my early work on, on my just processing what I call these undigested life experiences. Mm. Yeah, that's what I call trauma. Yeah. Undigested life experiences. It started at dad. And, I, and I, again, I'll, I'll sort of get to that. Yeah, man, I buried it. Yeah, yeah so he was my fucking my, when... one of my best mates. Yeah, yeah. And I just, he passed away. Um, but he gave me two gifts. I always share this. Two beautiful gifts in his, in his death. The first one was, you know, not from him, but from what I observed was like, your health is your wealth. Mm. <clears throat> and, um, you know, he wasn't unhealthy, but he was pretty, you know, sedentary and he didn't move a lot. Yeah. He had an office job, high stress. Um, I would say he experienced quite a lot of stress at home as well. Um, relationship, you know, <laughs> my mum and dad might say something different, but I experienced a lot of stress at home Yeah, and at, you know, within their relationship. Um, and probably caused by me as well. Yeah. A yeah. lot of stress, you know? Um, so, you know, I've, I've shared this with a few of my mentors. They're like, fuck, they're like, fuck, I can feel that tumor like growing in my head. Mm. And, uh, so, you know, I'm sure all of these facets contributed and it was like, I could see your health as your wealth. Um, the other gift he gave me was like, oh, bro, I just think he wished he did things a little bit differently. You know, I think he wished he lived life a little bit differently. I think he wished he chose a bit of a different path for himself sometimes. Mm. And, um, you know, in some of those conversations before he passed was just like, Drew, like, fuck everything I've ever said. I think that you need or should be doing. Like, fuck my expectations. Like, Throw that shit out the door. Like, go and do what fucking makes you happy, man. You know, he was 63, didn't even make it to retirement. He's like, life's short. Mm. You know, you don't know when your time's up. Go and do what fucking lights you up. Go and do what lights you up. And I've always had this inner rebel in me, man. Like, there was no part of me that's ever wanted to work for someone else. There's no part of me that wanted to work a nine-to-five, that wanted to... I just, I found that whole concept bizarre. Like, mm. what, I've got to work <clears throat> X amount of hours a day or a week for X amount of years of my life trying to save X amount of my fucking income to try to live my best years after 65? Like, that doesn't... Feel, so <laughs> bro, like, that doesn't feel like fucking living. So that was dope, man, you know. Uh, he gave me some two beautiful gifts. And, um... So again, like still hadn't got my shit together yet, but went on this massive like health path, health journey. <laughs> and um, yeah, the, this company and business came into my life, which I, and products that I, I lost a shitload of weight on, um, and which was incredible because I was massive man by this point in my life. Like I was, fuck, I would have been a hundred and near 115, 120 kilos. Big boy, like face was just like, no neck. <laughs> just yeah. unhealthy big head absolutely unhealthy and you know like basically living on alcohol and takeaways yeah so then your dad passed away and yeah so that sparked this, this health kick yeah started making a few changes and, and the incredible and amazing thing also about this company that I started working with was you know it gave me the experience of running my own online business uh-huh. and uh it also had a deep embedded pillar of self-development and just starting to like 
again, like learn about yourself. What was the business? Yeah. Uh, I was network marketing, bro. Okay. So it was Isogenics. You might've heard uh-huh. of Isogenics. Yeah. 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 yeah so I ended up with Isogenics. I owe so much to that company, man. Just awesome. what that taught me, the community that I met, mm. the people that I'd met again, just people that wanted to run against the grain people that wanted to, to live life a little bit differently. How'd you find them? Was that through trying to find healthier products because of what happened with you? <laughs> Not at all, bro. This is a trip in itself. Like, this is, again, a bit of a, a universe job. Um, I had a mate who I'd travelled through Europe with when I was 18. I'd met her on the coach I was travelling through Europe on. No way. And we'd always stayed in touch. Like, we'd been on Facebook. And she reached out to me a few years prior, and she's like, Drew, I've got this fucking amazing... Um, business opportunity for you like i think you'd be incredible at this because i've always been like that from yeah. <laughs> yeah i think we all have bro <laughs> and um you know but i've always been a real like community centric human like, mm. i love community i love just being around people and um she's like you would genuinely be good at this and like i trusted her and i really appreciated her and i like i was sold i was like this sounds sick and then I think it was like, you know, like you said, sort of that roll of the eyes, you're like, oh, fuck, like someone, I think it was a family member put that like bad taste of network marketing into my mouth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All that shit. And so I like pumped the brakes. I was like, oh, nah, maybe this isn't it. And um, it was like, it was probably like a good two years after I literally tripped over a box of the stuff at a, at a, a family friend's house at Christmas. And I was like, oh, you guys using all these like isogenous products. And she was like, Drew, take them. I don't want to fucking see them. I think she had just like, again, brought into something that she didn't want to commit to or yeah. couldn't commit to. And and um, she's like, look, you can have the lot. And I was like, really? Because I knew that that was probably 1500 bucks worth of products. I was like, no shit. She's like, yeah, 100%, take it. Like, if you're actually going to use it and you think it's going to benefit your life, go that's all it. yours where I go, go crazy. And I just started using these products and I, just, I dropped so much weight. And I started getting excited. I was like, fuck, this is cool. I feel amazing. I feel incredible. Again, still had like That's my addiction like spouts were like I'd have like maybe three to six months of like all good, and then it could like I said it could have been a week to a month, two months mm. of like shit. When I was on, bro, I was fucking you know I, I'm I'm a smart lad, yeah, yeah, and I'm pretty switched on when I apply myself. So I actually ended up growing like a really successful online network marketing business. And the way I did it, man, like you, I don't want to, like you just said, I don't want to slide into people's DMs. I don't want to be that dude. I started, I built my entire business off Tinder, bro. <laughs> That's smart. I've had that same yeah. idea. I heard you on another podcast talking yeah. about it. It's fucking genius. <laughs> I used to do the same. I've always been like, uh, Tinder apps, but I, yeah. I always found out like you can like, with the good human factory, I'd always <laughs> have like go check out my good human factory thing. Even totally. like, if I didn't use the thing and people were still flicking past you all the time, you'd get free leads yeah 100% well that's what I was doing and I was straight up I wasn't you know this was bad this was years ago man this would have been early Tinder days seven years early Tinder days before they would shut like they shut the shit down within hours now yeah Um, but this was when like an account would last me like six months and so it was straight up it was just like my bio was like if you want to achieve like X, Y and Z swipe right basically and then I had a few like before and afters on my photos so just sit there swiping and you know through that built a, a you know really feasible business and a lot of passive income coming through from that which is dope but the best thing about i think this company that i love was this aspect of personal development and anyway uh 
because I was doing really well in this business, I won. <laughs> this is this is sort of the beginning of my demise, my final demise. Let's put it that way. Bro, one of full expenses paid trip to Las Vegas. <laughs> Being all, like the biggest owner of, of the month places. or something. Yes, I can't even remember what it was now. Something like that. And um, uh, yeah, bro, Las Vegas of all of all places. So. yeah you can see where this goes man that was um i made all the promises in the world to my entire family to myself to the people i was traveling with you know like i'm on my best behavior you know i'm not not drinking i'm not doing drugs i'm not partying i'm here to learn to soak up from the to to grow the business and 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 you know i'm at home (laughs) my subconscious had other plans bro i happened to get there like five days before anybody else in my team <laughs> happened of to. course yeah it just happened to it just happened <laughs> to have, like plan my trip five days in advance um i got off the plane into a taxi taxi driver looks around is that like, where do you want to go bro i'm like dude i've got no fucking clue I, like i've never been here in my life he's like bro it's legal to smoke weed here now do you want to go to a dispensary <laughs> i'm like fuck i haven't smoked weed in years man he's like let's go and it was like that it was a like, game over we're out dispensary got a bunch of of bud flour got some gummies so i was just like chewing these gummies walking through the casinos bro just like a kid in a candy store just like wow this place vegas is a trip if everyone's been to vegas like it's a very similar experience uh, to what you used fucking out the gate like it's not normal yeah you know it's literally designed to just keep you inebriated and to like keep you spending your money yeah basically <clears throat> and so yeah obviously I was like already high on these gummies and then people were handing me free drinks while I'm gambling I'm like fuck yeah they're like cool let's go so I was drunk another two hours in I think this was back when I still had Snapchat I'd like messaged a few mates at, back in NZ that I know had been to Vegas and I was like yo have you got any hookups for any gear and they're like yep sweet buzz these two bro with another two hours I had like two eight balls of coke and I was just like I was gone and that was me like for like 11 days or something didn't end up at the conference oh yeah bro 100% but like you know either extremely high hungover or only still going because I'd like was doing bumps through yeah. through the like I was right. <laughs> our keynote speaker bro was Tony Robbins and I was high as a fucking kite <laughs> like no you can imagine like Tony Robbins fizz you, fizzes you up at the best of times I'm like fucking high on coke just like yeah Tony fuck yeah <laughs> Bro, it was a disaster. Like, yeah, there's some stuff I probably can't or yeah. shouldn't share on the podcast. But, yeah, just... It was chaotic, you know, like, ran out of cash, messaging home, just talking lies and bullshit to get more money into the mm. bank account. And um, flew home through Hawaii, bro. I ended up <clears throat> getting a... They had this, they've got this app over there called Turo. It's like Airbnb for cars. Yeah. Just sick. And uh, But, yeah, picked up this car... He's picking my off the side of the street. I'm like driving around like absolutely obliterated through Hawaii, like just drink driving with like a bottle of tequila next to me. Like, yeah, it was a mess, man. Absolute mess. Like got to the point where I was like flying home and the, the air hostess got so sick of bringing me like the miniatures. She was just like brought me out like 12 and was like, here you go. Like just pass the fuck out. I think she was just sick of my shit. And, um, yeah, got off the plane at this point in time. I I was actually living in a place called Wanaka in New Zealand. I'd moved down to Wanaka. I'd done the, like, I actually did a detox down there. Um, 
and just fell in love with the place. Like it's the most beautiful part of New Zealand. Mm. And like I don't know if you've been to Queenstown or yeah, anything yeah, like that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, so Wanaka's just over the hill, bro. It's like paradise. So I ended up moving down there to you know like sort my shit out and, and recover. And uh, yeah, got back and just started drinking myself to death. Basically, I was drinking between like one and two bottles of vodka a day. I'd literally just wake up, bottle of vodka's next to my bed, wake up, chug that back until I, you know, that feeling of absolute pain and discomfort in my body had gone. I basically drink until like blackout. And I'd wake up and I'd just keep going, and keep going. Like I was, it was, it was fucking bad. Not so much drugs at this point in my life because it was a small town in New Zealand. Like hard to get, hard to get. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, like anywhere else, still a small town. There's still like four bottle stores. Mm. Um, so yeah, man, I was drinking, you know, a couple of bottles, you know, like I said, between one and two bottles of vodka a day and, um, like just, yeah, just obliterated, like vomiting down the side of my fucking bed most days, like fucking literally pissing in the corner of my room. Cause I was too scared to leave my room. Like it's like to the point of like ultra paranoia living by yourself nah housemates like hence why I didn't want to leave my room again mm-hmm. that like being seen um like yeah it was fucked it was it was nasty it was a real mess what changed um again just hit that point thankfully again everybody knew they knew my patterns they knew that if I disappeared I wasn't answering the phone I wasn't messaging back I was gone yeah thankfully I had an amazing beautiful fucking loving mentor that lived in this town that like really looked after me and nurtured me in in ways that like i will forever be grateful for to this man he showed and taught me a lot and um he knew but again he he'd, he'd lived it he knew what was up so it was like uh, there's nothing i can do until i get that text from him and so it was it was like i don't know what it was it was something in me that was like oh, i'm if i keep going i'm literally gonna die <clears throat> sent the text out he came around scooped me up went to the doctors got everything that we needed to detox ended up detoxing at home this time which was good um, I actually had a conference I think I maybe had like two weeks we did already teed up a rehab um, but it was about two weeks before I got into the rehab um, so I was like you know, pretty straight by this point which was good actually it was nice to go into a rehab not having to detox there yeah. as well but clear headed um and yeah, ended up in this rehab, bro, and that was my, like, what I call my line in the sand moment. You know, it's like my whole company now is called Line in the Sand, my business is called Line in the Sand. I love that analogy or that, that, that term of phrase was just like, you know, I had that moment sitting at the edge, <laughs> just sitting at the edge of this fucking single bed. I feel like you only get these beds in rehabilitation centers, <laughs> these little shitty single beds mm. that you got to go back to. Sitting at the end of this bed, man, just with my head in my hands, I'm just like, like what like what the fuck's gonna change what haven't I done like what haven't I tried cause and it was just like dude the things you haven't tried are the things that anyone's ever fucking suggested to you Mm. you've done everything to keep like alcohol and drugs in your life and sweet fuck all to keep them out Mm. um and it was like that it was almost like that choose your hard moment right choose your hard what's harder yeah. And it was like, I created so much chaos on this side of my life that surely the way I was living over here can't be harder 
than this path of like healing mm. or recovery or self-development whatever you want to call that that path it's like the pain we know is better than the unknown pain oh exactly so i was like fuck fuck it let's go all in what have i got to lose i just went all in on me bro and that was that moment it was just like a switch was flicked it was like this is it all or nothing let's just let's give this a crack and see what i can create see how i can feel see what else i can do in my life <clears throat> and so I did bro for the first maybe year it was just like laying the foundational principles and that was very much through a 12 step program but again there was part of me that was like there's something more to this still working isogenics while you're doing this mate. yeah man yeah still had that income. going so I had my like that income coming in I was doing dodgy and still had my like sickness benefit coming in <laughs> um, but you know it was just what I needed to it's do at that smart, moment in time yeah. just to keep me you know I guess healing you know this shit I talk about this a lot healing's a privilege that's the reality. Mm. It's an absolute privilege, man. You know, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my journey of like growth. And this is something that's so important to me is accessibility. And with, I mean, I'll get to this at the end of my story, but with what I'm creating at the moment, I want to be able to create access to everybody. Mm. Like, how can we make this depth and level of healing that's actually needed and necessary to free ourselves from some of these behaviors, whatever that is, these you know what are classes mental health disorders or you know um, imbalances and then things like this um you know how can we make the, the, the true healing like deeply accessible to people that need it the most or actually genuinely want it but can't access it mm. i've always been so lucky and so deeply privileged that i've had those resources i've had family that have had the money to get me into rehabs private rehabs you know a lot of people if you were wanting to go to a public rehab bro <clears throat> um in new zealand it's still pretty much the same you're on a three to six month waiting list it's pretty much similar in australia public detoxes aren't far off and you get sent away you get told to co- either continue drinking yeah. or continue using because to just stop for a lot of these people cold turkey is more dangerous it'll kill you mm. without a like properly you know medically facilitated detox and so you get turned away and told to continue on the same path that you're always on but you're at that point of having your hand up and being like i need help yeah i want help and help's not there so hard so hard man so yeah i've been deeply grateful for the fact that i've always had access to these things so yeah anyway got to again this the point of like it was like i got to this point of like what else is there this has been cool this has served me up to this point but there's something more to this, mm. this journey for me. There's something, you know, much, much, much more to this journey for me. And anyway, I kept seeing people going to this workshop um, run by a couple, an old mentor of mine, Preston Smiles. If you want to look him up on Instagram, he's fucking amazing. Um, Preston Smiles and his wife is, is just as equally incredible, Alexi Panos. They run this workshop called The Bridge Experience. I kept seeing people that I knew in my community going into the space and coming out the other side just like like their world just it was like this rocket ship it's like they'd enter the slingshot and they'd mm. left the space and it was like all of a sudden they were just doing like some phenomenal shit in their life I was like what is going on in those rooms and so sure enough I booked my ticket I um I flew over for their level one workshop and this was where the penny dropped for me, bro. We did this 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 little practice, quite a basic practice. They do it a lot in like entry level workshops, experiential type workshops, where basically <clears throat> half the room splits into two, and 
one half of the room just closes down their eyes and kind of opens their arms up just for a hug. And the other half comes in to embrace you in a hug. So you're almost in this like anonymous hug with this, a random. Mm. And they're just facilitating everything up top. So there's like music playing in the background. It's like quite like emotion provoking type music. And then like Preston's narrating over the top, right? And so this like, I'm so in my head at this time in my life. Like just like stuck permanently up inside this in, in my dome. It was very hard to get out of that place. Um, and so like I'm embracing this hug and I'm like, okay, cool. This is nice. Like I'm a bit of a hugger anyway. I don't mind being a hug. I don't find this weird in mm. any way. <clears throat> and then he said one thing, bro. And he goes, and now imagine if it, as if this was someone you wished you could hug. Oof. And he just went, boom. Like just it felt like this crack in my heart just like opened up. And the floodgates just went, I just started bawling my eyes out, bro. Obviously, that was my dad. I mm. wish that could have been my dad. And I just started bawling and bawling and bawling. It just wouldn't stop. I didn't want it to stop. It actually felt so good. It felt cathartic. It was like the release I'd always been looking for. Mm. I was like, oh, and I was just weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. And anyway, it sort of wrapped and I was still crying. And they, after each practice, they sort of do what they call a bit of an unpack. <clears throat> and he just said, Drew, like, what's going on for you, bro? What's happening? He's like, man, and I'm like, I, I genuinely believe this is the first time I've actually started grieving the death of my dad. And that's where I realized I was like, it's in the feeling that creates the healing. Wow. Like the ability, like the, 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 the ability or, or actually in, in more cases than not this human inability to feel and process our emotions is what creates the, the trap trauma, these undigested life experiences. And the more that we can feel anything and everything in our life, whatever that might be, the full spectrum of life, you know, I don't class it as good or bad. Tears, crying, grief, sobbing, weeping, anger, released in a healthy manner, they aren't bad emotions. They're just a fucking emotion. Mm. They're just part of this human experience. And there's something very real and valid that wants to be expressed. You know, I call it emotion, energy in motion. It wants a way out. It wants somewhere to flow. It wants somewhere to leave the body. It needs an outlet. Mm. But again, we've been so deeply conditioned out of actually feeling, <clears throat> we shove it all the, all the way down. This is where an addiction comes in. We find what we need from outside of ourselves to shove this shit down, to shove down feeling, to shove down emotion. Um, and, you know, insert addiction here, you know, insert scrolling, insert overworking, insert porn was super prevalent for me, man. Porn was probably uh, came into my life before we did. Porn wow. was, you know, like a, an ultimate escape for me. You don't get taught anything about this at school. Nothing, eh? bro. Like, like... Nothing even about sexuality. Can no. you imagine how many teens think that like porn is... Like actual intimacy, mm. that scares the fuck out of me. It's true. And how many like you know, guys and girls think that you know that's normal? Yeah, it's like the closer you can get to porn experiences, the more your sex is in <clears throat> success. One hundred percent. Which is just a false facade. Absolute, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's mm. bullshit. Um, and so yeah, porn. You know, look, whatever. Insert gambling. You know. Eating food is one of the... take you out of what you're thinking about. Or feeling. Like watching movies Not even is thinking, almost feeling, right? more importantly, yeah. what you're feeling. 
the feeling creates the thinking yeah and um yeah food i'd say is the biggest biggest escape on this planet yeah. and a lot of people don't even realize they're turning to food when when they're you know feeling this discomfort in their body and so that was when the penny dropped for me it was like fuck okay this has been one of the biggest missing pieces that i haven't been taught within the frameworks that i've been plugged into so far is this what i call somatic approach to healing it's like how much more we call it like somatic trauma release processes like how much more can i free this shit from my body trauma stored in the body not the mind mm. um so this led me down this path ultimately of like approaching healing through like this framework of trauma and somatics so like started how much more can i feel yeah was just how it started and so it started with that that like grieving of dad <clears throat> i think somewhere down the track in this in this um workshop we even did like a anger release process and again what came through was anger it was like anger at my dad it was anger like fuck you like fuck you for leaving me fuck you for not being here fuck you for like not still being in this experience of life with me mm. again still valid but a lot of people can like um we can detach particularly from anger especially towards our primary caregivers that usually our parents um through like guilt we don't want to put that on them it feels it can feel like we're blaming them mm. it's not it's still a very valid experience that we have had and we are having that we get to feel it's not like we get to take that and dump it on their doorstep mm. that's my responsibility to feel and to clean up and to process and to move through right mm. and so this is where this whole like all the pieces of puzzles started coming into play i was like fuck this is it this is this is my journey now and so i started doing a lot more like what i'd call like deeper work on myself and approaching my own healing journey through this lens of trauma what sort of deeper work were you doing different modalities different yeah a lot of different modalities man so i started um again i've mentioned gabriel mate he's essentially like probably the world's top leading uh specifically trauma and addiction um whatever you want to call them specialist therapist, expert yeah. therapist he's an, a gp by trade he worked in i can't remember it was a part of uh vancouver downtown vancouver which had like at the time like highest drug dependency rates in <clears throat> in canada um and he did a lot of just like like what do they, what do they call it sort of like free pro bono like community yeah. work in these parts when he wasn't um doing his like gp type work and um again he started realizing that it was it was the environment he could see that these these a lot he would talk and sit with a lot of these people he wasn't there to try to fix them or heal them or or solve their problems he just wanted to listen and be a space for these people mm. um beautiful fucking man by the way incredible human being and he started to realize that it was it was this the suffering that humans were going through this pain this hurt these like i just said these i call them these undigested life mm, experiences aka trauma and again i'll go a little bit deeper into trauma because trauma in itself holds a stigma so addiction like tearing away the stigma of addiction i call addiction and distraction synonymous they're one and the same they're the same fucking thing everybody's got one everyone everyone like <laughs> you're lying to yourself if you say you don't have something in your life that you turn to when you just don't really want to fucking be in the reality of life mm. you don't want to feel you're a bit stressed you want something that ultimately is soothing you 
Mm-hmm. Self-soothing. Uh, it's a survival response. Um, so again, inviting anyone that's listening to this, like, what's yours? You know, you might not class it, and that's cool if you don't want to class it as addiction. I'll get behind that. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't either, but it's like, what's your vice? Mm. What's your coping mechanism? And how is that causing, like, or creating blocks in your life to your own personal, like, greatness and evolution? And is that something that you want to work on? You might not. That's fine. That's cool. Mm. All good. You know, some things are actually revered, you know, <laughs> overworking, over-exercising. Like, I see a lot of, um, you know, you maybe you see this in, in your world, bro. I actually see a lot of professional athletes come from, like, a deeply unregulated nervous system. Like, that jacked, that, that overstimulation, that, like, addiction to cortisol and stress response is actually what's gotten them to be like these ultra marathon runners or these like you know pro athletes and whatever their their sport is and to excel in the way that they have has actually come from a deeply embedded dysregulation dysregulation of their nervous system i've worked with a lot of them i've worked with a um, a couple of australia's top professional boxers and at the core of it has been this deeply embedded uh unregulated nervous system and a core wound of like either like I'm just not good enough or I'm not lovable as I am and that has come from their childhood and mm. so they've gone and excelled in something it's no different to the striving businessman or entrepreneur do you know what I mean mm. it's like these can work for us in a sense um, and some are more destructive than others but it, they can still create a lot of pain and suffering for people around you like overworking you know takes you away from your family mm things like this um so it's just like gets to a point where like what do you want to do about it it's like some health addictions can be healthy like i'm addicted to eating healthy because i'm fearful of being unhealthy but then it can get to a point where i can be controlling like oh unless it's really healthy i won't eat yeah it's like well that's where a lot of eating disorders can come from Mm. is that regimented ridge like it's that the control Mm. that it gives them a sense of control which is really fascinating as well Mm. so anyway what i'm trying to get at is like let's just tear away that stigma of the word addict or addiction and like everyone's got some sense of a coping mechanism and so yeah started going down this pathway of trauma and understanding trauma at a deeper level bro and um <clears throat> i did this online uh it was an online retreat with gable mate and a lot of his practitioners were trained in his modality which is called compassionate inquiry uh or they were trained in another world-leading trauma expert a guy called Peter Levine and his modality is called somatic experiencing and I was just sitting in this on this retreat online and just like everything was landing and making a sense I was like this is everything I'm looking for this is this is giving me all the answers this is going to lead me towards that why and why why me and um so I went on this journey like looking for this practitioner and um uh, you know, it was a while before I found this 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 mentor teacher of mine that I've been working with for God years now, um, and she's taught and shown me and, and helped me peel back so many different layers. Um, but yeah, that just opened the doors to this understanding of like, this is a survival response, and this is actually ingrained and embedded in us from actually the moment we're conceived, which again is really hard to understand and even for some people fathom. Mm. so you know again just to give people reference and understanding for trauma um there's many different kinds of trauma you know what most people would perceive trauma to be 
is acute trauma. Um, you know, you hear that word trauma and you think, you know, uh, and these are, again, they, these are very valid traumas, like abuse, mm. child abuse, sexual abuse, um, living in like a war-torn country, um, you know, uh, living in an extremely um, impoverished community or environment. You know, they're genuine, genuine threats to your life. Maybe for some people on a daily basis. Mm. And so you're literally living from a survival response, what we call the sympathetic nervous system. You're consistently, depending on your environment that you grow up in, let's say this for an example, unfortunately this is really common, you're you know, maybe sexually abused by a family member consistently, whether it's daily or, or a week or every month. You're on red alert. Your body's trained to be on like hypervigilant, I'm permanently locked into fight or flight because I don't know when that threat, that what feels like a genuine threat to my life is coming. And so, poof, like I'm, I'm on, right? You, you're locked into that mm. sympathetic state of being, this isn't like nervous system work. <clears throat> um, so that's like acute traumas, right? You've got... Um, I was like, I, I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday who spent six months a year in America and we were just sitting on his balcony. Yeah. Having dinner, going like, far out's good to be here. Just on the Gold Coast, like life's good. Everyone's safe. You go for a swim, you leave your phone on the beach. No worries. And he's like, without realizing, he's like, I feel like I'm always on a little bit of edge in America. And we go to the mall. Yeah. Just like gun violence and stuff is uncommon as it potentially is. It's far more common than here. So he's like, I just feel safe and not on edge once I come home <clears throat> and it's just that small level but yeah yeah I'm sure that dude this is and that can also what we call like we call like collective trauma mm. so it's like you know certain events have happened enough to like everyone becomes hyper vigilant mm. everyone's a little bit on edge um so that can be like collective trauma in that um yeah you know imagine growing up in let's say like the ghetto like New York Bronx things like that mm. like genuine like you know murders and you know gang shootings and shit daily on the regular mm. like you grow up in that environment that's the norm yeah it's the norm for you but it's still like your like natural biology is like holy shit i've got to be really on here because like i you know my life could be taken almost mm. at any point any moment i've got no idea um so then there's like generational trauma which is like passed on from from family members which is really common um and then like what is actually what i would say is is much more subtle but also much more predominant and definitely what i experienced like i wouldn't say i had any of these acute traumas or what some people call capital t traumas but we call developmental trauma and this is all around childhood development <clears throat> Developmental trauma is pretty much instilled in, a, in what we call imprinted within us. Uh, there's two trains of thought. Pretty much from like either conception to three years old or conception to seven years old, what we call it like formative years. Um, and so usually like developmental trauma is it's, it's really based in, it's not so much what happened to us, but what actually didn't happen to us or, or not getting our basic needs met in the way that we, we needed them met as a kid in the way that we wanted, in the way that we really desired, in the way that would make us feel safe mm. and loved. Um, and so again, I can only speak from my own experience. Like I've done this through different practices and modalities with different teachers. 
I've gone back, bro, to like, so we're feelers as children. Like, we feel everything, especially like even when we're still in the womb, we're feeling. And we regulate, we can't regulate our own nervous system at this age. So we regulate to our mothers. Mm. You know, unfortunately, if you know, maybe mum dies in childbirth, we, we regulate to our primary caregiver. On a very rare occasion, it's, it might be dad or it might be a grandparent or mm. something like that. <clears throat> but, you know, let's say 90, 95% of the time it's our mums. And so we attune to our, our, our mum's nervous system. And again, that's for survival. That's literally the human that's keeping us alive, right? And we're feeling everything they're feeling. So through different practices and processes, like I've literally gone back to the womb, which and all of this makes sense. This is where I started having all my aha moments. I'm like, ah, right, okay, fuck. That's why I was the way I was. That's why I was wired the way I have been. I feel like I've healed a lot of this, you know. This is evolution's ongoing. Yeah. Um, there's still parts of this that still exist within me, but um, it's far less than it ever was, put it that way, bro. When I started exploring this, man, I was like, holy shit, you know, mum was, she was 40 when she had me. She had had two miscarriages before me. Um, so, I mean, it makes sense. I was feeling, and I, I, I can feel this, like I can still feel this if I really drop into it. I was feeling like, I was feeling her ultimately like deep-seated fear, terror, mm. like fear of losing me. She'd yeah. already lost two. This is her last chance, right? 40 years old. Like, this is it. So she's like, stressed to the max, like, just like, live. Like, like you know, there's this ingrained fear. Yeah. And rightfully so. She's had her own trauma as a result of mm. miscarriages, losing children. <clears throat> so she's feeling all of that whilst in pregnancy with me. So am I. She's also extremely dysregulated stressed what i now know as well she didn't quite have the amount of support that she wished she had she lived in uh christchurch where a lot of her family lived in uh auckland so she wasn't getting the support that she probably wished she had so she's probably under the pump you know again imagine what that does to someone's nervous system it's dysregulated mm. that she's you know stressed jacked whatever you want to call that um i'm feeling that from like from being in the fucking womb not only am i feeling that bro is I'm feeling, and this is this is all unconscious. So again, we get to like remind listeners that these trauma responses, and, and, and until we become aware of them, they're completely unconscious. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is Carl Jung. It's like until we make the the unconscious conscious, it will literally rule and dictate our life, and we'll call it fate. Mm. Which is who we'll believe we are. This is just who I am. Yeah. Until we're like, oh fuck. And we learn all of our self-beliefs, we learn all of our things, whether they're being conscious or unconscious, and they can all be unlearned. That's one of the best ones I've heard is, you know, your thoughts is like a pretty common thing that you learn pretty quickly once you start meditating and getting into that realm of self-development. But once you start to recognize that you're not your self-beliefs, they come from traumas, they come from subconscious things. That's when I've really started to get a lot of things where I'm like, oh, that's just me. I'm like, well, if I don't want that to be me, then I can change it because once upon a time it wasn't, it's only been low. Totally. Mm. Yeah, 100%. It was, once upon a time it was a survival response. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. So also at that time I was feeling her, um, it was this energy of I need. So it was basically it was like, I need you. I need you. Mm. It was like, I need you to survive. You know, it was like, but it was just the energy, the whole energy and dynamic growing up around my mum 
<clears throat> felt like I need I need you for coming from my mum, which yeah. is really fucking confusing as, as a child because it's obviously meant to be the other way around. Yeah. So what that creates, you know, like I've said, experience creates these like trapped and embedded, um, you know, we can call them emotions or energies, traumas, the body which creates these beliefs. Mm. So if you think of that energy of like, I'm feeling I need you, basically that's the definition of, of conditional love. Yeah. So what I'm being shown, again, just my experience, this yeah. is all unconscious to my mum, she's not purposely inflicting this upon me, is that I need to be someone other than my authentic self in order to be loved. Mm. I need to figure out who you want and need me to be in order to receive love and safety. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Insert my like deepest core wound. I'm not lovable as I am. I'm not enough as I am. I can't just be me. Mm. I need to figure out need to be who you need, you need me yeah. to be mm. <laughs> so that I can... I was like a shapeshifter bro all my life. The chameleon. Yeah. I would walk into any room, any environment, whether it was... And this was all unconscious before I, when I was actually like could see this through a particular practice I did. It like, like shook me. I was like, holy fuck. This is everywhere. Mm. <clears throat> um, didn't matter where I was going, what I was doing. It was this like deep-seated need of approval and validation, ultimately love from others. Mm. So wherever I went was like, who would I like kind of sit back for a little bit to suss out the environment, suss out the space, mm. suss out the people and be like, cool, what mask do I need to put on today? Yeah, wow. What, who, who am I going to morph into and become or what bullshit lies am I going to tell in order for you to like love yeah. and, and ultimately receive me right mm. and that played out fucking everywhere man not to mention my like intimate relationships like we this is what we call like attachment theory and it's, it's kind of another path but um, we form that again from usually our, our primary caregivers so again unconsciously all my intimate relationships I was seeking out the unavailable woman, the woman that would keep me at arm's length, uh-huh. arm's distance, the woman that I had to prove myself to that wasn't just loved just as me Yeah. because it mirrored my childhood. And anything other than that, you know, I've had, you know, the, the, the um, beautiful experiences with amazing woman who just loved me for me and loved me unconditionally. And I'd run the fucking other direction, bro, because it was so foreign. My body was like, this is so fucking weird. I don't know how to receive this. And so again, this is just all these pieces just started falling into place. It's like, holy shit. Okay, from a young age, that makes so much sense. My entire nervous system was so deeply dysregulated. So of course, throughout my entire childhood, into my teens, into my 20s, was always just consistently trying to find someone, something from outside of myself. So almost the literal definition of addiction. Mm looking and seeking for something outside of myself to make me feel, to fill that void. Yeah. To self-soothe, to down, what I didn't know what I was doing was actually down-regulating my nervous system, bringing myself into a more like passive dorsal state of being Mm -hmm. and being like, oh, fuck, that works. Until it didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Until, you know, the benefits, the, you know, the chaos and the mayhem started to fire up the past the benefits exactly Mm. it's just slapping um i love that you just said the band-aid like i'm just slapping a band-aid on the symptom 
as opposed to getting in and under and getting the root yeah, as to why. And that took years, bro. Mm. You know, that's that brings me up to, you know, I'm still working on some of this shit. Yeah, let's catch up to now. So you've done all this work, you did isogenics for a while, you've understood and uncovered so many of your traumas, why you are the way you are. And mm. Now, let's talk about the work you're doing now with, um, yeah. Bro, now like How you're helping um, people, what... Yeah, what's, what's your journey now? If people want to come and work with you, if people do feel like they may be running down the line of addiction, um, what sort of resources do you offer now and how are you helping people? Yeah, man. So it was probably, I'd say four years ago now where it was like, yeah, I just got this, just like, it was just this calling, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call that. Just that little, little tickle from the universe. It was like, bro, it's time to share your actual story. You know, it's time, like I had, had never, like I'd shared my like weight loss and health journey. Mm. you know so many different platforms but I'd n- like I've been because it was shadowed and so much shame I'd never actually shared my my real fucking story mm. my lived experience and that's where it started bro I was like I had this mentor that just encouraged me he was like why don't you do a live and it was the scariest thing it freaked me the fuck out I found it the other day I showed it to a client it was like 12 minutes long <laughs> and I just shared this live it was like I don't know, let's say 13 people have probably ever seen this live <laughs> in, the, in its existence. It wasn't for them, that was for you. 100% mm. exactly that, bro, nail on the head. Um, it felt like the entire world had watched. And it felt like I just like, almost like come out of the closet, liberated myself. and like, this is me. Yeah. This is my journey. And actually, this is my fucking superpower. Because that, that pathway has got me to where I am today. Yeah. It, it opened the door to this journey of growth of self-development just like being a better version of myself Mm. and um so yeah it just started with sharing my story man i started um like i did a facebook live series it was kind of like a live podcast series which i did for maybe a year where i just bring similar people on and just much like you know podcasts that you do bro share stories share experiences let people know that there's other people out there that have gone through some shit Mm. and come out the other side and um that just naturally developed into like fuck not only you know do i have a story i've got a shitload of tools that also now work and work really well you know um by this point in my life i'd probably like three or four years off the drink and drugs and i was like fuck you know i've I've got a pretty incredible framework in which i can start to like coach and mentor other people Mm. So I did, I just started sort of marketing myself or, you know, I don't really like that word, but just started sharing from a place of experience and people wanted to come and work with me. So I was like, fuck, this is cool. Okay. So I started doing one-on-one um, coaching and mentoring. I started running group programs. Um, back then, I think my first group program was called Better Than Your Bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it slowly morphed into this, yeah, this, this brand of, of line in the sand. Um, so for the last three years, I've just been deepening my own, I guess, qualifications and experiences as a, as a, you know, trained trauma practitioner Yeah. and, and, and facilitator, um, and just help weave that in and amongst a myriad of, you know, millions of other different practices and tools and resources that I've picked up along the way, working with different mentors and courses and programs that I've done and actually worked through myself. I will only give people something that has worked for me. Yeah. That I've literally embodied myself. Like mm. I'm, I'm not, I would never, 
ask someone to do something that I haven't experienced myself. Like yeah. Embodiment for me is everything. Love that. I'm not living from something or teaching from something that I've lived. Oh, this is a load of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, my humble opinion. Yeah. And so it's just morphed and it's grown and it's yeah, so skyrocketed and, and just spiraled 100% to the epic. point where, um, bro, it would have been 18 months ago, I was running one of my group programs and I bring on guest coaches <clears throat> or facilitators just to bring a different vibe and energy and, and understanding into the space. And I was like, shit, who haven't I brought on? Like by this point, I'd run this program a few times. Like I'd brought on a lot of incredible people and they had access to all the people of the past. Yeah. I was kind of like, fuck, who's like, who have I got left in my little box of tricks that I want people to experience? And I was like, fuck, there were these dudes, Matt and Ryan, that I'd connected with maybe a year before that. Um, and so they run an outfit called the Center of Healing, which used to be an offline treatment center, basically. They took it online and Matt and Ryan actually created their own trauma, let's just call it a trauma release or trauma processing type modality, which I think is phenomenal, like <laughs> subtle plug here in my humble opinion. It's, it's the most easily digestible trauma modality on this planet, like their gift is to make that real like kind of comprehensive and, and what can be a bit like quite heavy and clunky understanding of, of trauma mm. and the facilitation of like just so easy to understand and digest anyway i brought them into this group program and they just facilitated this group call where like every, all like the people in this group their jaws were just like like all the like pennies were dropping you could just see all these light bulbs going off yeah. and i was like holy fuck I got off this call, bro, and, and Matt messaged me and was like, bro, why have we never done anything together? <clears throat> so I got him a Zoom, like, maybe later that week, and I just basically laid out my dream vision, my, like, grand plan. I'm like, guys, this is what I want to create. I want to create, ultimately, the world's first online addiction, like, trauma-informed addiction recovery platform. Are you guys in? They're like, fuck you, yeah, let's go. Yeah. So we linked arm, bro, then we, we created, we turned line in the sand and, and made it a, a registered company. And we spent the eighteen last 18 months curating this trauma-informed 12-week program that it's, it's going to change the fucking game. Like I, like, I will not sell myself short. I genuinely believe this is going to revolu revolutionize how we approach addiction globally. Like, this is going to... It's going to... I want it to be the forefront. It's going to be live March 13th. All right. This will be March coming out 13th. very similar time. So it'll be very similar to when yeah. it comes out. I'm excited to, um, yeah, check yeah. it out and have a bit of a look at it. Last sort of question I want to ask you is... What away. is some of your... um, What would be the most common thing that... Obviously, alcohol and drug would be a big one, but... Yeah. I think it's important to re recognize that addiction isn't just drugs and alcohol. It's Not basically even anything. Yeah, so what... um. What's the most common thing that people come to see you about and what's sort of the best next step in the right direction if people want to say, you know what, I do want to get a bit of help? The most common... I mean, and it they don't, well, so let's, let's do a hypothetical. Someone goes, you know what, fuck it, I'm, I need some help. With, I'm addicted yeah. to drinking alcohol, I'm addicted to drugs. Go to a GP, they're like, yep, three to six months, wait. Yeah. Go continue doing what you're doing. And someone goes, no, nah, I want to do something else. What would you recommend them? Dude, first thing is like, I mean, if you know anyone in that space is like, reach out to me to start with. It's, it's really case dependent. 
And so I've got to be really careful with like the kind yeah. of advice that I give in the space because it is so case to case dependent yeah. on where that person is at. Like if they're someone who's literally drinking like X amount high quantities daily, they're going to need, and then same with the drugs. Um, it, it's predominantly drugs and alcohol that like you need that there's a detox process. Yeah. Like these things can literally kill you if you just stop cold turkey. Mm. So it would be really dependent on a case-by-case basis yeah. as to where you're at. The people that tend to come in and fall into my space, um, they are that, or they're, they're maybe like their drinking's just, they know it's just holding them back. Yeah. Um, you know, it might just be a weekend thing, and it's just that they know that it, they know they want more out of life. It's kind of like my year taking off 100% they're mm. just like fuck I just want more out of life this isn't serving so me anymore curious. there's got to be something else out there like this mm. I'm bored of the same old same old yeah Um. I actually work with a lot of people um, in codependent relationships that's an addiction mm. codependency I work with a lot of people with that like food gambling different forms of medication um, porn uh, I mean you, like, you name it bro and um, the main thing is to recognize that it's a trauma. It's that's covering it. something. It's like step one. Well, I don't even. I wouldn't even go that far. Like it takes a bit of work to get to that place yeah. where you can even create enough safety in someone's body to start exploring. Let's just say the trauma. Mm. Like step one's like, is this thing fucking serving you? Yeah. Like, is do you know in your heart of hearts if you're being completely honest with yourself that this is like this is holding you back in some way, shape, or form? Are you, like I say, it's just part of the copy on one of my old websites. It's like, are you just fucking sick and tired of being sick and tired? Mm. Do you feel like you're living out like fucking Groundhog Day? Do you want more out of life? And are there the patterns of behavior that you can notice in your life or vices or substances or whatever that you know that are, that are, that are blockers or barriers from you being that ultimate version of yourself? Mm. And do you want to change? Some people don't. Yeah, that's cool. Not everybody is ready for this path, bro. Like fuck, I say it all the time. This is actually the path least travelled. Yeah, this is fucking scary, man. This takes work. Like literally, call it doing the work. Yeah, like, like you know, you hear it in the space. Like, are you in the work? Are you doing the work? Yeah, it's like they fuck. They call it work for a reason. Like this takes. It's like going to the gym. You got to do your reps. Yeah, if you want bigger muscles. You got to go put in the. You know, in New Zealand we say put in the mahi. Mm. you do the work yeah you say do the mahi get the treats yeah you do the work you'll get the rewards but you've got to actually do the work yeah and that's why a lot of people that come into my space this is why I love like experiential learning or experiential practices um because like I can tell you something I can help you get to a place where you understand something that's cool that's kind of the basis of traditional therapy Mm. talk therapy (laughs) And how do you inspire, educate, and motivate people to actually make the choice but it's like what, Yeah, what are the practices that are actually going to create the embodied shift? And how are you going to motivate the person to maintain doing it without your... 100%. Yeah. And so I say this all the time. I literally wrote a post on it the other day. Like, I don't sprinkle glitter on shit. Like, I'm not here to make shit look pretty. Mm. Like, this is work. But it's like, what's your line in the sand moment? Like, what's mm. your tipping point? What do you want to choose? Like, choose your heart. Mm. And then, you know, I guess it's like, go and find who and what resonates for you. 
for some people it's literally just starting like with you what you said like with some basic practices mm. it doesn't mean you have to go all in with a like coach or a practitioner or a therapist or whatever but like what are some little shifts that you can awareness. change on a daily basis mm. yeah how much more awareness can you have of your own patterns mm. of your own bullshit of where you're maybe lying to yourself yeah question i love asking people bro it kind of <laughs> fucked me up when i first heard it it's like what do you know that you're pretending not to know it's a good one and it's like oh shit and like just getting that like sitting with yourself and getting really honest where do i want to start a lot of people it starts with health yeah it starts with health and wellness starts on this like weight loss journey or this you know whatever just getting a bit more active or it starts with like stillness practices yoga meditation um you know again that's all about just ultimately being aware noticing being present with ourselves and it's you know a lot of aspects of it is actually starting to down regulate our nervous system bring ourselves like for a lot of people like the the true meditation is actually quite traumatizing Mm. if you've got an extremely activated nervous system just to be still and with yourself is like that's one of the scariest things you could ever ask someone to do Mm. ever so I start some clients with like active meditations or like you might start with like, say like guided meditations. Mm. They start there before I like get you to sit in ultimate stillness yeah. or active meditations. Like how much more present can you be when you're just going for a walk along the beach? Yeah. How much more present can you be when you're sitting at dinner with the kids? How much more present can you be just to life in general? Just bringing a level of presence in. Mm. And then, um, yeah. And then from there we'll, we'll maybe start to work in like, sitting with self yeah <laughs> but that can because just sitting in self that's when stuff starts to bubble up to the surface that's when all these undigested life experiences energies emotions that we haven't processed they start to come up for attention yeah if we don't have those tools to, to be with those to be with that discomfort yeah. shut, shut down suppress go back so man like I just say like to anyone listening just start start somewhere yeah, man. I think it's... Start, um, start with this podcast. Yeah. Start think, by listening and start with a morning routine. I think it just starts with asking yourself the question. It just starts with you. Yeah. Are you willing to make changes to positively impact your life? It's like, do you want to go mm-hmm. through life linear or do you want to grow through life? It's like, you look at a graph, do you want to be projecting, moving forward and upwards in life or yeah. do you want to maintain the mundane habits that you have, the yeah life... And if the life you have is good, then epic and you're fine with it. But if yeah. you're unhappy and you pretending to not recognize things that are happening then yeah maybe it's time to and make some changes what i say to a lot of people that i have conversations with as far as like noticing in its simplest form this is what we call like parts work so i break down into like your ego and your higher self the ego's job is to keep you safe and so what it, how it does that is by keeping you and what's familiar mm. so that's the voice that is like you know go and have the drink it's the voice that's like fuck the gym it's the voice that's like, yeah, go and fucking smash the big bag of Maccas. Yeah. You know, or, or you know, that's the, the part of you that, again, thinks it's keeping you safe, does it by what's keeping you familiar. Mm. It'll do anything it can and get really fucking loud and even sneaky and sometimes quite manipulative and, and to the point where it can be a bit of a bully to stop you from anything that is growth. Mm. And so the more that we can start to almost treat and talk to and communicate to that part of ourselves, almost as if we would like an infant, 
mm. or a child and just meet that play, that part of us with love and understanding and kindness and compassion and be like, what do you actually need? Mm. Which is almost always like, I just actually want to know that I'm safe and I maybe need a little bit of love. Mm. And then turn and face our higher self or those higher parts, those little parts that are like tickling you and nudging you in the right direction always. That's what we call alignment. Mm. That will always lead you to growth, like expansion, yeah. development, deeper understanding of like your path. Mm. Um, but yeah, again, it's like even just understanding that and knowing how to tune into that part of ourselves when we've been so good at tuning out. Yeah. And itself is, is massive. Yeah, man. I love it. It's been, um, <laughs> it's such an epic chat. So eye-opening, getting to know your story, getting to you, learn the things that you've been through and fuck, man, it's quite a journey you've been on and just the openness <laughs> and honest, honesty, being able to share what you've been through. Obviously yeah, now you probably you, do it quite a bit, so you're quite happy, but I'm sure every time you share it, you learn new things about yourself and yeah, I'm excited to see this new program that you guys yeah. are bringing out. I'm excited to see the impact that you will continue to have hopefully from this podcast maybe some people might get in contact through social media learn a bit more about what you're doing and then yeah when your new program comes out hopefully what you change the world but the question I do finish all of these podcasts with Please, is yeah. the same is what does being a good human mean to Drew Wild? Well being a good human means living in my truth living in my truth so what that means to me is yeah just that practice of, of like just listening and, and aligning to what I sort of was just sharing about that, that higher part of me. I actually call that the ultimate form of self-love. We talk a lot about self-love. It can be a bit woo and fluffy. Um, sometimes people think it's sort of chocolate cakes and bubble baths, but I actually believe it to be that, that, that listening to the higher self. And when I can listen to that, I believe the action I take from that is... Um, is what I call my self-care and that's again what I said sort of like that's alignment so when that's my truth that's my Mm -hmm. authentic self right and so for me being a a good person means like yeah deeply honoring and listening to that internal guidance system man beautifully put and it sounds like there was a long time that you didn't but now you've really began to listen which is super special I'm sure anyone listening to this episode can really relate to it but man this has been one of my longest episodes it's amazing <laughs> so I barely had to know. I, love, I love when you tell a guest that it's your longest they automatically go to apologize it's like this is amazing I haven't I had to ask many questions at all which is yeah. great it just means like um, you're obviously very good at sharing your story and I'm sure people would have got some big breakthroughs and moments throughout this podcast that hopefully they question themselves and that's what this podcast is all about hopefully improving our lives and being open to hearing other people's stories, what they've learnt, learning from not only our own mistakes, but other people's mistakes, journeys and stories along the way. So, man, thank you so much for jumping on Good Humans. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much for having me and just thank you for having such an incredible platform just to, yeah, just to share stories, bro, and for people to realise that they're not alone. Yeah. We're all, Far from alone. We're all so unique, but we're all so not that unique. <laughs> we're all yeah, so fucking similar. <laughs> yeah, it's epic. Well, man, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, brother. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 